Good morning, Church on Iraq. Amen. My name is Rashad Cunningham. I'm the pastor here at Church on the Rock. Um, if this is your first time here, we're grateful God brought you here. If this is your, as Tyler would say, hundredth time here, we're, we're happy that God brought you here for the hundredth time. Uh, whatever it is, if you're here, God brought you here, and we're thankful for that. The reason we do the good morning, Church on the Rock, good morning, Rashad, is because we want to know that you're alert and ready for a word from God. Uh, not from a word from me, but a word from God himself. So when I say good morning, Church on the Rock, let us know that you're all here by screaming, good morning, Rashad. Good morning, Church on the Rock. Good morning, Rashad. Amen, amen. So we're going to be starting out the New Year's, the first Sunday of the year. Um, I'm going to give you some direction as to where we're going before we jump into the actual sermon that we're going to be in. So this is the year of devoted change for those who will be uh, members attending, regular attenders of Church on the Rock. We're going to be devoting ourselves to change. It's like a continuous commitment to repentance in the areas that God will be exposing to us over this next year. Um, this comes with expectation. If you're a member here, yeah, we're looking at you and saying we expect for you to be obedient because love is obedience, lived out, right? So because of that, we have another hashtag. Uh, it's going to be belief births behavior. Basically, what we're saying is so many Christians say a whole lot of stuff about what they believe, and they come in here and how he loves us, oh, he loves us, right? And then they go out and they live a completely different lifestyle than, than that, and what we're calling on for Christians to do, whether they're members here, whether they're just passing through, we're asking you to behave what you say you believe. If you believe something, uh, we'll find out real quick if it's true by how you behave, right? So belief births behavior is going to be a, a theme throughout the entire year, belief births behavior. So keep those two hashtags, and if you're, you know, posting on Facebook about something I said or whatever... Hashtag it with that so people can know what we're about right here this year. And then uh, say, lastly, we're going to be going through the basic church. Um, I'm kind of sick and tired of churches trying to mimic each other, uh, trying to keep up with each other's programs and different, you know, unique ministries that they just founded and all that. I'm sick and tired of that. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to, over the next two years, we're going to be looking at Acts and just getting back to the basic church. This is going to be the Bible church, uh, the believing church. As you see, it's an acronym, so I'm just walking you through the acronym. Uh, acronym, acronym, what's the acronym? I don't know what acronym is. All right, so <laughs> the, the, the attitude of the church, they were always in awe and, and, and were really amazed by what God was doing. The attending of the church, they actually gathered together, like this is a beautiful gathering, so that's excellent. The sayings of the church, which are going to be the praise, how we worship and how we pray. Uh, the serving of the church, which is you people not just being spectators who are here on Sunday morning to listen to somebody talk and be served, but you actually come to serve others. And then um, also the igniting of the church, the things that fire us up so that we leave. Out. Yes, just like he's clapping over there. Yes, he's clapping because he's excited. We need to be ignited and ready to ju jump out of these, these uh, walls and go out and, and tell people about the gospel. The intimacy of the church, as we continue to grow, we still need to make sure that we're finding ways to love one another past Sunday morning. This should just be a preview of what's happening throughout the week, one-on-one, two-on-two 
two, three on three. Uh, the care of the community. So after we take care of the inside, we're supposed to take care of the outside. And then finally, a commitment to all of those things. We need to be committed to all of those things. My little man's going to help me preach this sermon. You, look at him. Look at him. He's already got this. All right. So um, all of that starts out with the series that we're going to be in for about three to four months called Empty Religion. Everybody should go, ouch. Yeah, ouch. Okay, because uh, we're going to be here from January to whenever God gets us out of it. We're going to be in the book of Malachi. And the thing is, before we can start thinking about devoted change and why we need to be devoted to change, we need to recognize that we need to change, that there's a reason we actually need to change. So we're going to allow Malachi, we're going to allow God to speak to us through the book of Malachi to show us that we are flawed. And, and since... Um, the human psyche in America, for whatever reason, if I just kept it that for the entire four months, people would get bored because the title hasn't changed for some reason. So we're going to have a little, we're going to have sub-series names for every, like, sermon section. We're going to have, like, little sub-series names. So the first sub-series name that we're starting out with is, hello, my name is Hypocrite. Yeah. Everybody's like, hello, my name is see you next week, right? Oh, <laughs> uh, what happens is this. Um, if we're being honest, if we're being honest, we're hypocrites, okay? Like, it's not just what the world is calling Christians, it's what we are. We're hypocrites. We're broken, uh, we falter, we fail. But I, I would hope that we can get to a place as a result of this series where we're less hypocrites less of hypocrites or less in hypocrisy, right? This is going to be a challenging series. And um, let me just get into the word. We're going to start in Malachi 1, uh, 1 through 5. Pay attention to all of this because sometimes when you're in the Old Testament, people are like, oh, the Old Testament's not the New Testament, so it doesn't matter. That is so false. And we're going to teach against that too. But just, just like I'm going to try to make this as plain as possible because sometimes people get um, intimidated by the Old Testament. They get intimidated by prophecy, per se, or a word from the prophets. Or it sounds like a whole bunch of church language that I just don't understand when I come into a church. That's why I don't go to church because they talk over my head. My responsibility is to guide you. So I'm going to bring it down as, as low as I can bring it down so that we can all understand what this word is saying. So Malachi 1.1, the Bible says the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. Keep going. <laughs> I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declared the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but I have hated Esau, and I have made his mountains a desolation and appointed his inheritance for the jackals of the wilderness. Though Edom says, we have been beaten down, but we will return and build up the ruins, thus says the Lord of hosts, they may build, but I will tear down. And man will call them the wicked territory and the people toward whom the Lord is indignant forever. Your eyes will see this and you will say, the Lord be magnified beyond the border of Israel. So we're going to start off with Malachi 1.1 because if you just read what I just read, you might be like, I, Rashad, kind of new to all of this. That, I'm not sure what that's saying, right? So my responsibility is to break it down for you. And this morning we're going to break it down. So it starts out right here, the oracle of the word of the Lord. Now, that word oracle in the Hebrew also means burden or load or like a weight. So the weight of the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. Let's start right here with the hello, my name is hypocrite. Those of you who claim to be Christians, um, 
does God's word actually burden you? Does God's word actually, does it, does it burden you? Uh, you know, we get on version and we get on our little reading plans and we get excited when we get the little check mark and yeah, I finished another reading plan, but did it actually change you? Did it actually do anything for you? Did it actually burden you? Did it actually put weight on you to actually move and do something with yourself? And, and I'm asking this because before we get started with this book, this is how it opens up. The burden or the load, the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. What he's about to lay down on Malachi for Israel is also meant for us. None of this matters. You're attending here and this great turnout that we have this morning. None of it matters if all you do is walk out of here the same person that you walked in. None of it matters. All you're doing is saying, hello, my name is Hypocrite. I walked in last Sunday, I heard a message, it felt good, it convicted me, I said amen and hallelujah when I was supposed to, and then I, did, I went out and I didn't do nothing. Like, hi, my name is Hypocrite. And then I came back and I talked to a pastor or one of the leaders about a problem I had, and they said, oh, we talked about that last Sunday. And I go, oh, we did? Well, I didn't change, so I'm back this Sunday for the same problem I had last Sunday that God answered but I didn't change as a result because there was no weight to it for me. I just needed to show up so that the people could see my face. Hello, my name is Hypocrite. That's, that's me. That's you. Anybody done that before? Anybody came and was like, I just need to be there because I invited so-and-so, and if I'm not there, then I got to be there? Like, okay, I have done that, okay? I've done it, all right? I'll, since we all just goody-goody out here, okay, I, I've done it. I've actually came to church one time because I invited somebody I didn't really want to be there. I invited somebody, so when I was there, I didn't hear a word he said. I was just happy that this person was there because they needed Jesus, right? <laughs> Hello, my name is Hypocrite. So it opens up. It says, the burden or the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. So everything we're about to talk about, everything we're about to walk through is a word from the Lord. Do you believe that, though? Because belief births behavior. If what I'm about to read to you and explain to you is actually from the one you call the creator of the universe, then wouldn't you behave according to what it says? Wouldn't you, wouldn't you, would you ever look and say, oh, Malachi is a boring book of the Bible. It's God's word. The creator of the universe has, has revealed himself to you through his word and you're, you're bored or you're not excited, or, yeah, come on, y'all, like, we have to start questioning these things, because this is where we say, hello, my name is Hypocrite. Yes, I know the Bible front to back, but I start to get bored with it, and oh, well, then do you really believe this is the word of the Lord? Because if this is the word of the Lord, the word of the Creator, then these are going to be things that actually tell us how to have life and life more abundantly. Um, one of my favorite illustrations when I'm doing marriage discipleship is me and my wife struggled in our marriage um, with Monopoly. <laughs> we, we argued so much about Monopoly because I believe that the money goes under free parking when you land on like luxury tax and stuff, right Jess? And she believed it goes on like when you pass go, which I've never even heard of in my life. So we would always be having this great game we would have this great, look, she's not back there, so everybody's looking for her. She's homesick. Y'all pray for her. Pray for me, because when she hears this, she's going to be mad. But look, so look, 
So look, anyway, we would be playing the game and somebody, we'd be doing fine until somebody lands on luxury tax and then we start arguing and it would just, it'd be horrible, right? It would just always be horrible. One day, we had this great idea to read the directions. <laughs> the directions say the money go back in the bank. So we were both wrong, right? Mm, the word of the Lord, right? Is, is, they say the basic instructions before leaving earth. Like, this is God's word to you so that you can have life and life more abundantly, right? Uh, quit trying to figure it out on your own like me and Britt did and just read the instruction manual from the person who designed you, who designed life, who designed all of this, right? So let's believe that. Let's actually believe that. And then some of you may say, well, why in Old Testament? I mean, it's Old Testament. I've always been taught that the Old Testament doesn't matter, Rashad. And especially like a minor prophet, first and foremost, minor prophet doesn't make it any less than a major prophet, okay? Uh, sometimes you'll hear Jeremiah is a major prophet, Ezekiel is a major prophet, Isaiah and Daniel are major prophets, and Malachi is one of the 12 minor prophets. Doesn't that mean we don't have to pay as much attention to this? No, 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 no. Minor and major are strictly based on the length of the book, okay? So whenever you see that terminology of a minor prophet versus a major prophet, it's just the length of the, the book. It's not that Jeremiah means more than Malachi. It doesn't work that way. Malachi is actually extremely powerful. So another reason is this. Um, uh, if, you, if we look at 1 Peter, give me 1 Peter real quick, the one twelve, I believe. Is it 12? Yes, one twelve. Look, look at this real quick. It says, it was revealed to them, he's talking, Peter's talking about prophets, it was re revealed to the prophets that they were not serving themselves, but you in these things, which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into, into which angels long to look. So Peter's saying, hey, those prophets from the Old Testament and all the stuff that they did, yo, that was for you. They weren't serving themselves. They were serving you, like you right here, right now, uh, in regards to salvation, in, in the context of this, he's talking about salvation, but if you read the Old Testament prophets, they point to Christ, they prophesy, they, they foreshadow, they look to something, and it's Christ. So they, they, it was revealed to them, they weren't doing this for themselves, they were doing it for you. So part of this is for our condition, right? For our condition. But another part is for our caution. If we go to uh, 1 Corinthians 10, I believe, 10, 6. Yes, all right. Says, now, Paul says, now these things happened as examples for us so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. In the context of this, he's talking about Moses and those who came through the Exodus and how they lived uh, in a wretched way. And, and it says, hey, the, they, Moses and them, these things happened as examples for us. So basically, uh, you could take that for anything in the Old Testament. When you're reading Judges and you see uh, the, the, the quote that says, in these days they did what was right in their own eyes, um, that's looking back and saying, so we shouldn't do what's right in our own eyes because look where it got them. When you look at Malachi and you're going to see all this hypocrisy and all this um, treating wives bad and all this empty religion and horrible and worthless worship, when you see all these things in Malachi, it's for your caution so that you don't repeat what they did. One of my favorite uh, hip-hop artists, Jay-Z, and I'm quoting Jay-Z in the pulpit. What am I doing? Anyway, he, he used to say this, though. He said, I did that, so hopefully you wouldn't go through that. That's heavy for me because that's basically what this verse is saying. If you look to the Old Testament, you're going to see where they went left and went wrong so that you can go right. Understood? So it's not just for our... our um, excuse me, for our caution, um, and then I said for the other one, it's, it's for our correction, per se. But, but here, if, if you just look back 
into the Old Testament, you'll find things that show you how Israel neglected God so that you can choose a different path, okay? So this is why we're starting off in the Old Testament. This is why I do it every single year. If you're here at Church on the Rock long enough, you'll know if you just go back to the sermons, I start off in the Old Testament every year to just get an oomph for some things. So let's go back to Malachi 1, and now let's get into this. So the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi, verse 2, he says, I have loved you. Look at this. The very first thing he says is, I have loved you. This is the gospel by itself, people. I have loved you. But look at their response. You say, how have you loved us? God says, I've loved you. And you say, how have you loved us? So what we're going to be doing is taking that hello my name is and putting different words there to kind of point out why we would come up with this response. How have you loved us? Because if we're being honest, if we're being honest, pretty much everybody in here at one point, even as a Christian, has said, how, how has God loved me in this moment? And what I'm going through right now, how has God loved me? You know, you start doubting, you start second guessing some things, you start struggling and wrestling with what's going on in your presence and you forget about the past. So, so what happens is he says, I have loved you. I'm going to stop just this moment, and I'm going to ask everybody in this room, do you understand that God loves you, that he has loved you, does love you, and will love you? Um, and this isn't some feel-good sermon, trust me, <laughs> but I need you to understand that before he gets into this burden of a message, this is going to weigh heavy on the Israelites. It's going to convict. It's going to correct. It's going to challenge. But before he gets into it, the first thing he says to you is, I've loved you. I've, the first thing, yeah, hmm, the first thing he says is, I have loved you. I've loved you. And he's saying that to you right now. You who just walked through the door maybe for the first time, I loved you. You who still don't believe yet, I loved you. And, and you may say, well, Rashad, I don't even believe this. Jesus hocus-pocus stuff. How could he love me and if I don't even believe in him? Huh? God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. He gave up his son for you. Whether you receive that, whether you believe that, Jesus still died on the cross. Period. So, so we're going to call for you to believe that, but even if you don't, he loved you. He does love you. He will love you. And it's important because, hello, I'm a hypocrite, is going to try to, if he loves you, if, and God says, no, 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 I loved you while you were a sinner. I loved you while you were my enemy. I loved you while you didn't believe in me. I loved you. So he's looking at the Israelites, okay, a chosen people, and he says, he says, look, I loved you. But their response, and, and just so you know, this is Malachi talking, so they probably didn't say verbally, how have you loved us? But you know, actions say a whole lot, right? Belief versus behavior. In other words, Malachi is saying, your attitude, the way you're worshiping, the way you're praising God shows me that you're basically saying, how have you loved us? You see, Malachi was looking at the people and was like, based on how you live, you must not believe God loves you, that he currently loves you, because you're showing it in everything you do. Now, this is when people start saying, oh, Malachi was a Bible thumper. No, it's real. It's real. I don't have 
to thump you to simply say, well, look how you're behaving. That tells me what you believe. You must not believe God loved you because that love would lead to obedience. That love would lead to loyalty. That love would, I wouldn't, I don't, I shouldn't have to ask people to come to church. Not just this church, any church. I should have to ask people to gather. Uh, God commands us to gather. And because I love God, I gather, right? Because I know he loves me. I shouldn't have to ask people to serve and to sacrifice because he did all that for me. And I believe he did that for me. So since I believe he did it for me, I do it for others as a result of what I believe, right? So, so God says, I've loved you. But Malachi goes, but you say, you say, how have you loved us? And they go, well, we never said that. Yeah, you did. When you stop praising God, when you refuse to sing out loud, when you refuse to read his word, when you, when you refuse to do those things, you must not believe he loves you. Where does that hit for you this morning? Or would you become the hello, my name is hypocrite? Because that hit me immediately. Your actions tell me and should tell yourself where you stand in terms of what you believe about God's love for you. So I love how it opens up like that. And then, so what he does is he recalls past proof. His answer to that question is past proof. He says, was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord, yet I have loved Jacob. Go to the next verse. And he says, but I have hated Esau. So we're going to stop right there. So, so here's the thing. Um, we're going to be looking at that response of looking at God and saying, how have you loved us? Because if we're being honest, we've all asked it at some point in our walk, out of our walk, whatever. Okay. And there's going to be some reasons that we come to that. The first reason is going to be, um, um, give me my first one. Hello, my name is short-sighted. Okay? Hello, my name is short-sighted. In other words, I don't care what you did in the past. Because of what I'm going through presently, how can you say you've loved me? Y'all know how it is when you, you get that awesome Christmas gift for your child, right? And on December 25th, you are mom, right? Mom, yes, yes, this is exactly what I wanted. But on January 7th, when they got to go back to school, how can you say you love me sending me back to school? I, you know what I mean? Like, like, this is what it looks like, though, right? Like, what's been done in the past doesn't matter today for a lot of us. We're short-sighted. We, we don't see what he did on that cross. We don't see the death, burial, and the resurrection in our present-day problems. So instead, we, we start saying, how, how has God loved me with the stuff I'm going through in my marriage? How has God loved me with the person I lost in, 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 in the last month, two months? How, how does God love me with my financial situation? How does God love me? And we start looking at it as our present problems are more important than the past proof. Anybody been there? Anybody been there? Where, where, where you start questioning God's love for you because of what you're going through? You start saying, I'm not sure if he, if he loves me anymore because I'm struggling with this. And here's the sad part. If we're being honest, the majority of those things are self, self-inflicted. Like a lot of the stuff we go through, we've brought on ourselves. But we're mad at God and saying, you can't love me if you didn't. And, and, and we'll blame him. We'll say, you could have shut the door so I didn't have to go through this. And he's like, I did. You ran right through it. <laughs> right? I shut the door and you was hitting it and you was like, I'm still going to buy that car I can't afford. I don't care if every door's been shut. I'm going to maneuver and finagle my way into getting what I want. 
and then I'm going to blame God and say he doesn't love me when I'm suffering because of my decision, right? So we say, how have you loved us? And I want you to take this. I want you to think about this. If you could go into this next week, like let's make a real devoted change this week, looking at every problem that presents itself to you and look at the cross. Simply look at the cross. If you could stop in every argument, in every parenting thing, in every financial thing, in everything at your job, anything that brings a problem to you in the present, if you could stop and just think about the cross before you respond to that problem, you'll never question God's love for you. Isn't that powerful? If I stop and say, you know what, I know what I'm going through, but Christ died for me. <laughs> he, he died for me. This, this temporary issue doesn't hold any weight to the eternal life that he has given me. I'm no longer short-sighted. I'm thinking about everything he's already done. And see, Israel was short-sighted. He's like, you must have forgot. I chose you. I chose you. I didn't have to choose you, and I chose you. And, and that word love is more Jacob I have chosen, Esau I have rejected more than anything, right? We look at Deuteronomy 7, and I want to give a little picture of this. In Deuteronomy 7, we'll see this right here where he goes, The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any of the peoples. So when we're talking about Jacob I love, Jacob became the nation of Israel, okay? Esau became the nation of the Edomites or Edom. So when I'm reading this, I'm speaking, or this was being spoke to the nation of Israel, Jacob's descendants, okay? The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the fewest of all people. So he's like, y'all not special, right? He's like, y'all weren't like some big United States of America nation. Y'all this itty-bitty little nation. Y'all the fewest of all people. So I didn't choose you because y'all was the biggest and the baddest nation, first of all. Get over yourself on that one. Then he says, but because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers, the Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Is that, did you jump to eight? Cause that, did I read seven? Is that seven? Go back to seven. I don't think I read seven. The Lord did not say, did I read six? Did I read six? I don't know if I read six. Let me go back one more. There you go. My fault. <laughs> so he says, for you are a holy people, a set-apart people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. So just think about this real quick. Um, when you get into this Jacob and Esau, and we're going to break that down a little bit more. It's probably going to take the majority of our time. But you have two twins who are in a womb, okay? In a womb. Neither one has done good, neither one has done bad, and yet the Lord says, Jacob, I loved, Esau, I hated, and now Jacob's descendants got the nerve to look at God and have this attitude of worship that says, how have you loved me? I, <laughs> does, that make, does that make a little bit more sense to you? When I'm looking at you, when I'm looking at you right now, um, if you feel that God owed you your salvation, if you feel that you deserve your salvation, if you feel you deserved for Christ, like Christ owed you his life. If that's how you feel, hello, my name is hypocrite, okay? He willingly went to the cross for you. He made a choice to die for you. And think, I love thinking about it in this context. Satan 
and the, the one-third of the angels that followed him out of heaven, according to the Bible, uh, you realize they can never be saved? Does everybody understand that theology, that Satan and the demons that are with the fallen angels, they do not have an opportunity for salvation, right? Human beings do, okay? Think, just think about that. Angels, divine spiritual beings, do not have any redemption chances, any redemption opportunities. They can't call on the name of the Lord and be redeemed. Human beings do. You're still questioning if he loves you? Maybe it's because you're, sh- you're, you're so short-sighted. You're so caught up in today. You're so caught up in the materials of today and the world and your comfort of today that you can't see eternity. You can't see the big picture. So when they say, how have you loved us with their attitudes and their ways of worship and all that, he goes, I, I chose you. And you're like, well, maybe, yeah, he chose Israel, but how do we know he chose us? Give me that, uh, Leah, give me the, uh, I believe it's, Ephesians 1? Should be Ephesians 1. Yes. He says, Paul says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, all believers, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. He goes on and says, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. Meaning, he doesn't owe you nothing. He, done, he did this because of his will. It was him. He, you, America especially, but Christianity in general is so self-centered. We're so, this is about us. I would be screaming too. It's so much about us. Just us, 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 that we lose the sight that he did it out of the kind intention, out of his mercy, out of his grace. Like, you come into church and gathering with other believers who believe in God and Jesus Christ, that's a privilege. This shouldn't be a burden. This shouldn't be like, oh, I got to drag myself into this stupid church. No, we should be on tiptoe anticipation to come in here and worship before God. It's a privilege to be able to do this. It's a privilege to be those who are his children. And, and I love this because when you look at it, it goes in the same place of all of us are his creation, but not all of us are his children. Why? Because there's a, there's a promise that comes with that. Those who call on the Lord will be saved. Those who call on the Lord will be his children, not everybody, right? So what happens is... Um, we got to break that down just a little bit more because people, I, I can see it on their faces now. Why would he choose Esau and not Jacob? I, I don't like that God. Well, you don't like God. <laughs> but what happens is this. Um, if we're going to break it down heavily um, without getting too much on a Sunday morning, I got some minutes. Okay. So <laughs> what happens is this. People get caught up in asking this question. Well, why wouldn't, why didn't he choose Esau? I don't understand. Like, they, get, they get hung up on that part. Why didn't he choose Esau? Here's, the, here's, the, here's the, the deeper question. Why did he choose Jacob? Think about it. In Israel and Edom, both nations sinned, okay? No difference. Both nations suffered consequences of their sin. So if you come in here this morning as a Christian and you think because you didn't believe in Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can go out and live any old kind of way and have no consequences, you will be horribly disappointed. (laughs) All right? 
so there's still consequences to sin, whether you are Jacob or whether you are Edom, whether you are Israel or Edom, there's still consequences of sin. Both nations uh, sinned, both nations had consequences of the sin, whether it be the exile or anything like that. But God redeemed Israel and left Edom in their misery. Now think about this. Everything that Edom goes through, they brought on themselves. They sinned. They made these choices in their free will. In their free will. He didn't make them make these choices. They made these choices in, his free, in their free will. God can choose to redeem Israel. He chose to redeem Israel. He chose to bring Israel back to restoration because he chose it. Look at Romans 9 real quick. This is, this is, this is going to be a little bit tough this morning, but I'm trying to bring it all the way down, okay? So in Romans 9 it says, But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. Keep going, Leah. It says, Nor are they all children because they are Abraham's descendants, but through Isaac your descendants will be named. Keep going. He says, that is, it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise. So going all the way back to Genesis, Abraham and uh, Sarah are told by God that they're going to have a child. And this child is going to be basically the lineage of Christ. They're waiting on this child. No child is happening. So they take matters into their own hands. And they get the slave, they get, um, I think it was Hagar, I think it was Hagar. They get Hagar, and, and Abraham sits with Hagar, and Ishmael is born. And, but that's not the child of promise. That's the child of man. We made this happen. The child of promise was the one that came later, which was Isaac. So just because you were born to Abraham doesn't mean you were the child of promise. If you were born to Abraham through the promise, which was through Sarah, that's what made you a child of promise. And this is what he says. It's not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are regarded as descendants. So when people get mad and say, well, that person over there who doesn't believe in Christ, that's a really nice person. Why aren't they going to heaven? The promise... If you believe in the word of God, the promise is through Christ. It all who believe, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a promise, right? So those who are children of God, according to the promise, believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, right? So I know mama whoever, cousin whoever, child whoever is a good person by human standards, right? But the promise is made to those who call on the name of the Lord. That's it. That's it. There's, there's one way. That's the way he made it. And people say, well, why is there only one way? Why is there any way? Is the real question. Why, why is there only one way, Rashad? That's not fair. Well, there should be no way. You, you do realize God is a good, good father if we all go to hell. God is still holy if we all go to hell. You, you get that, right? So for anybody to be saved is mercy upon mercy, grace upon grace, love upon love. For anybody, for there to be any way, and for that way to be through him giving his son up on the cross? Really? And we got the nerve in our worship and our attitudes to say, how have you loved us? <laughs> like we, we switched that song we just sang to, oh, how have you loved us? Oh, oh, how have you loved us? Because of my present problems. <laughs> Was that on to note? I just got <laughs> so he goes on, go, keep going. And, and Paul says, for this is the word of promise. At this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. 
And not only this, but there was Rebecca also. Here we go. When she conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac, it says, For though the twins were not yet born and had not done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose according to his choice would stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls, it was said to her, the older will serve the younger. Going on, it says, just as it is written, he's quoting Malachi, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Finally, he goes on, he says, what shall we say then? Is there injustice in God? Because that's what we do. We don't like it because it doesn't fit what we call love. It doesn't fit what we say is fair. Well, that's not fair. Neither one of them did anything. You know? We say that's injustice. And Paul says, may it never be. He goes on and says, right there, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. You, you, hold on. You want to tell me how to run the universe? <laughs> You want to tell me how to keep gravity in the balance? You want to tell me how to keep the planets aligned? You want to tell me? Be, why? Why? You, you must be short-sighted. See, it was me that woke you up this morning. You realize if I didn't wake you up, you don't wake up, right? It was me that made it so that you can get to church okay, because if one person swerves this way or that way, you're done. You, you see what I'm saying? Like, if we start looking at the sovereignty of God, then you start appreciating the love of God, because he could bring you home right now, Right? Think about that. If you woke up this morning, if you're married, say, say you're a husband. If you woke up this morning, he said, I still want you to be a husband today. If you're a father, I still want you to be a father today. If you, whatever you are, if he woke you up, he still wants you to be that. Why? Because he woke you up. He could not wake you up. And he's still a good father because it's his own will. He's sovereign. I don't want a God that's in my box. Why do y'all want to box God and make him who you want him to be based on what you think is right and wrong? You, have you seen where right and wrong has gotten you according to you? <laughs> Right? Like, I, I'm, I'm thankful God doesn't do it my way. Right? This would be a jacked up world. <laughs> so, so, so he looks at past proof for your present problems. And, and I'm going to hurry up now. Go back to Malachi uh, 1.3, please. By, by talking about Jacob and Esau and showing how he chose one and not the other. And, and if you're a part of Jacob, then I chose you. How could you say I didn't love you? And if you're a part of the believers, he, he chose you. How could you not say he loved you? And if you're a non-believer, he died for you so that you could be the chosen if you just believe, right? So, so you can't say he doesn't love you. He goes on and says, and I have made, look at this, I have made his mountains a desolation and appointed his inheritance for the jackals of the wilderness. So maybe, maybe you, um, if you, if you're taking notes, write down Genesis 36, Genesis 39, and uh, Genesis 33, because you need to understand Esau was blessed, okay? It's not like Esau popped out the womb and he was like, like from day one, didn't have anything going. No, Esau was blessed, okay? But look at this. I, God, have made his mountains a desolation and appointed his inheritance for the jackals of the wilderness. Another reason we start getting with this mentality of, oh, how could you say you loved us, God, is because um, we're skeptical. So, hello, my name is short-sighted, but hello, my name is skeptical. Hello, my name is skeptical. That's my second point. Hello, my name is skeptical. Because... What happens is you start waiting, and you start going through the waiting period of God's promises coming true or whatnot, and you start getting doubts. You start having, like, I'm on the keto diet, all right? I started the keto diet. I didn't cut out my carbs. I cut out my sugar. I cut out, I even cut out my coffee because I don't like coffee without creamer. And I was all in on, like, day one. It's like day four or five, and I'm getting a little skeptical. <laughs> Because the headache, <laughs> the shakes, 
I'm like, I don't know if this is worth it. You know what I mean? And that's basically the mindset that Israel was in in that time frame. It's like, here we are worshiping and we're doing all this stuff, but we're not seeing the promises that were promised yet. You know, and we get skeptical during that waiting period. Have any of you done that? Have any of you been like, man, what's the point in going to church when I'm still going through this? Or when this is still going on in my life? Man, what's the point in going through church? Why, why ain't he came back yet? We keep talking about he coming back. When he coming back? He ain't came back yet? It's 2019, right? Like, we get skeptical. And, we, and, and what happens is when we start seeing things that way, our worship changes. It becomes real lackadaisical. It becomes empty religion. Hello, my name is hypocrite. Hello, my name is hypocrite. Because things ain't happening on my time. It's taking too long, right? And then, and then, and please, if you, I, I really feel bad for you if you listen to the prosperity gospel. <laughs> I really feel bad for you. Hey, if you sow this seed, you're gonna be blessed with ten thousand dollars tomorrow. <laughs> I bet you're real skeptical, huh? <laughs> because, because, because this is this is what I'm saying. Look. That's not for you to determine or decide. That's for God, once again, back in his sovereignty. But here's the thing. He's, going back to that Malachi 1.3, going back to that Malachi 1.3, I want you to see, he says, I have made his mountains a desolation and appointed his inheritance for the jackals of the wilderness. So living in the mountain countries and things like that, he goes, anything he has, like, I brought that down. I made that low. Go to the next verse. He goes on and he says, he says, though Edom says, we have been beaten down, but we will return and build up the ruins. Thus says the Lord, they may build, but I will tear down. So look at this. This is what happens. As Christians, you get to looking at like non-believers and seeing that they're prospering in their ways. And you start thinking, man, I'm starting to get real skeptical about this because why is it they doing good? And they, not, they don't believe in God at all, but I'm not doing good by worldly standards. And, and, and you're on Facebook watching all these fake resumes on Facebook thinking that somebody's got it better than you when they don't. Or you're looking at their car or their house. Or maybe, maybe you're the corner boy who then came up off, out the drug life and, and you're trying to do right by God and everything, but you keep looking back at the corner and all your boys is making all kinds of money and stuff. So now you're like, well, I might as well go back to what I was doing because I'm not doing good with this God thing. Maybe that's you. You're skeptical. You're so busy looking at everybody else that you've grown skeptical. You're so busy looking at, at everybody's proclamations of what they got going for them that you forgot about his present power. Let me tell you something. You don't have nothing because of you. Nothing you have is because of you. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how big your bank account is. I don't care what job you, I don't care your title in the community. I don't care who you think you are. You're nothing. Let me just tell you that right now. You are nothing. I am nothing, okay? You, without Christ, without God holding your life in the balance, you are nothing. Look at uh, Psalm 127. I love this psalm. Psalm 127.1 says this right here. Mm -mm, give it a little elbow. Boom. <laughs> Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. If God is not involved in it, if God is not doing it, I don't care what it looks like, it's not going to work. So he looks at, he goes back to Malachi 1.4, and this is what he says in Malachi 1.4. He says, yo, Edom's going to get on Facebook and say, look, y'all, I know 2018 I was down and out. But boy, 2019, I'm going to build back up. And God says, they may actually build. They may actually build, they may actually be successful just in building this big house, right? Keith, they may actually have the new whip. He goes, but I'll tear it down. Think about that. You may actually actually see them prosper a little bit. 
He goes, but if I ain't in it, if I ain't the heart of it, I can wipe it out like that. So why are you looking at them, Israel? Why are you looking at them, church folks, saying maybe I need to change my ways with this whole God thing and make less time for him and more time for the world so I can get what the world has? Get out of here. Hello, my name is hypocrite. And finally, so, so they were, they were uh, short-sighted, they were skeptical, and lastly, hello, my name is self-centered. My name is self-centered. The world revolved around them. Just like today in the church, we think the world revolves around us. You think it's about you. Bet this song is about you. No, it's not. You, 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 you're looking, you think things need to happen in your time. You get impatient with the process, right? You're looking at the process of his promised plans, and you're like, it's taking too long, so I'm, I'm, I'm done. It's not going the way I want it to go. And as we get ready to close, I want you to see 2 Peter 3, 9. And I'm, I'm going to bring it around like this. So um, it says, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Think about this. Some of us, we, we become Christians, and we go into this mindset of, why hasn't he come back yet? Or why hasn't this happened now? When mm, 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 I want to see those promises today. But you know, if he wasn't patient, many of us would be going to hell. Like, all right, there's, there's about 80, 90, 100 something people in here. Somebody in here is not saved. Okay? I'm just going to put it out there. Somebody in here is not saved. Somebody does not believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And, and, and then there's Christians in here who want him to come back today. Like right now, because so that they can get theirs. Well, you know what? That somebody may be the person sitting next to you. You cool with that? You, you cool with that? Because what happens is this. He's not slow about his promise. It's going to happen. Jesus is returning, okay? Point blank period. He's coming back. But he's not slow as you count his slowness. He's patient. Why? He doesn't want you to perish. He doesn't want you to perish. If you're, if you're a non-believer and he wakes you up another morning, it's because he doesn't want you to perish. You keep saying, well, why hasn't this happened yet? Or why hasn't this happened? He doesn't want you to perish. But guess what? It's going to, that clock's going to run out. Okay, that clock is going to run out. And so when, when I'm in here and we're teaching empty religion and all this stuff, here, here's the fact of the matter. Um, God has said to everybody in this room, I loved you, okay? He said it in his actions. He said, I have sent my son to die on a cross for your salvation. He's calling out to you to respond to that action. He wants you to be saved. It's a very, very simple gospel. It, 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 all that religious stuff that people try to throw on you, there's a place in time for some of it. But for the majority of it, it, co it comes down to this. It comes down to this. It's a very simple gospel. I loved you and sent my son to die a death you couldn't die, to pay a ransom you couldn't pay so that you could be a child of the promise. What's the promise? That if you call on, on that death, on the death of Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection, if you call on Christ as Lord, you will be mine. You will dwell with me in eternity, regardless of what you're going through today, tomorrow, or any of your earthly life, which is a vapor in view of eternity. You will be with me. So he calls on you for that and, and, and says, and while you're waiting, 
Those of you who are believers, while you're waiting, don't become short-sighted. Don't become skeptical. Don't become self-centered. Stop being a hypocrite, right? So this morning, this is what we're calling on for everybody here. We're, we're asking you to do one of two things. If you're, if you're not a believer, we're asking whether you come up, whether you come to somebody in the back, to myself, whether you stay in your seat. There's no religious way <laughs> to do it, okay? We're getting rid of that. If you're in your seat right now and you want that assurance of salvation, you call on the name of the Lord where you're at right now. And then we're asking those of you who, who are believers, who perhaps you are short-sighted, you are self-centered, you are skeptical, you, you are starting, it's getting to be a little long and times are getting rough. We're asking you to lay that down and believe what his word says of I have loved you, period. There's no extra anything. He didn't say I have loved you if. No, no, no. It's just I have loved you. It's crazy when you think about it this way because all that stuff that you may hear from the world about what Christianity is, we're trying to get rid of that. We're trying to get rid of the empty religion. We're trying to get back to the simple gospel. We simply want you to know the Lord for yourself. We want you to, to, to have this relationship for yourself. Not by my standards, not by our standards, none of that stuff. This is for you individually. So we're asking you to call on the name of the Lord, to share in this promise that we have, to simply enjoy the beauty of the simple gospel. Hello, my name is Hypocrite. I'm fallen, I'm jacked up, but he's loved me. And he loves you too. Amen? Let's stand up and sing. Thank you for taking the time to join us on this podcast from Church on the Rock here in Brownsburg, Indiana. If you would like any more information about our church family, our pastor, or where we meet, please visit our website, www.churchontherockbb.com.